Welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Vina Jetty, is the founding partner of Five Funds, a unique commercial real estate firm. Vina brings a dynamic perspective to tar targeting, acquiring, managing, and operating assets using best practices combined with cutting edge technologies. Vina, welcome to the show. Hi, Eric. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, Vina, tell us how you came to, to real estate and commercial real estate and start Vive Funds. Yeah, so I am the daughter of a successful real estate investor. I'm the daughter of two immigrants. My parents came here back in the 80s and from India, and they decided that, you know, my dad came here for education. He came here to do his PhD, and he's an engineer, did, you know, the W-2 route, and um, by virtue of his job, he was traveling 45 weeks out of the year when we were kids, my sister and I were kids and my mom wanted to contribute to the household and she wanted to do something that didn't require her to be away from us. So for so long. And so she started a real estate company and started investing and wow. she was, you know, effectively taking care of us alone. And so my sister and I would have to go to closings and walkthroughs and tours. And it, we grew up in this world. Um, so I went to undergrad, got my degree in finance. And I, you know, I graduated when I was 20 years old. So I was young. I thought I knew a whole lot more than I actually did back then. Uh, and my mom asked me to come work for the family business. And I said, no, because I knew what I was doing. I had a degree. I was an adult. I was going to do something completely outside of um, what she did. And so I worked in corporate real estate and uh, you know, learned a lot, made a lot of money at some of the best shops at the world, um, left ultimately my corporate gig back in 2012 and started investing for myself. Wow, this is this is great. This is fantastic too. I mean, we haven't talked about that, but like women as a, as a role model in real estate, it's great. There, there are a lot of women that are like, you know, real estate brokers, real estate agents that are very, very successful, obviously. But in uh, real estate investment, there are few and far between. So it is such so so great that you know you even had like your mother as a role model to no. take care of the kids, <laughs> and then on top of that, uh, you know, start a real estate investment company. This is fa fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, there are not many women in investment, and especially what I do now in the multifamily commercial side, we're in private equity, really, and there's not a whole lot of women and uh, definitely not women of color at this kind of transactional level. So I'm excited about it. And that's actually one of the reasons why I do what I do is because I've two, I've twin daughters that are two and a half and, you know, I don't want them to feel like they can't do this if they want to, or they have to choose between, you know, a career or a family. I want them to know that they can do both. And I think that representation is important. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, I I think this is great. This is uh, you know fascinating, and you know there's a lot of uh, network. I was uh, like women in real estate uh, network and all of that that, um, that help each other. You have different kind of like different perspective, different ways of doing things, yeah. and also how you're. Um, you know, I don't want to speak for it for you, but uh, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to be, uh, I would say, understood <laughs> by <laughs> your partners uh, when uh, when you're a woman in real estate. So, yeah. so this is great. 
Yeah, you know, and I'll say, so the last several deals, about the last 250 million that we've acquired, uh, it's actually been a joint venture between two women-led companies. One was your former guest, Ellie Perlman, mm-hmm. um, and myself, and we actually, we're, I'm very excited about it because it doesn't happen very often, but we have been transacting in our capital markets as also a woman-led team as well, which oh, yeah. highly unusual is in that space too. So it's been really exciting and really fun to work with so many women. I'd never had that opportunity before. Mm-hmm. No, that's fantastic. So tell us more about kind of like, so you, you got started, you decided to, obviously you, you gained a lot of experience in commercial real estate. And now you said, okay, well, this is not, I'm ready to go and do, do my own thing. Um, so what was the, is it because you found a deal first or you just said uh, you had <laughs> enough of the you know, filling out forms and... <laughs> Well, I mean, I, ironically, I do more of that now than I did before. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that, so the, the reason I left was because I paid taxes married to my husband, who's a high income earner for the first time. And I, we were both W2s. And mm-hmm. I called my mom and was like, mom, we were living in DC at the time. I was like, oh, what just happened? And she was like, yeah, you need to consider, you know, becoming a full-time real estate professional, getting the designation. Um, and so she, you know, she was there to really guide me through that process. I, I wish it was more interesting. Like I had a great deal and it, 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 it was just that it was time for me to go out and, you know, I had a supportive spouse and that really helped. And we shared the same vision and same goals of what we wanted to do. Yeah. Now, so this is great. So for, for the audience out there, so there already, when you're working full-time, you have a, you have a full-time job, you invest in real estate, you have tax advantages, mm-hmm. but when you dedicate yourself uh, to, to real estate investing, you don't need necessarily to be a real estate agent, a real estate broker. You can spend a lot, significant amount of time in your real estate business and you can be a, considered a real estate professional. Yes. And that way, all these, these, tax benefits are just amplified. You can basically yeah. take out a lot more of these uh, tax advantages and offset other active income. Absolutely. So that's, uh, that's, so as if it was not good enough when you're uh, <laughs> working, when you not, when you dedicate yourself to it, it's even, it gets even better. So this is great. So tell us about your, uh, your first, uh, your first deal. So you, uh, you get out of this uh, corporate gig and you say, okay, well, I have to do something different. And how, how did you get started? Because I, uh, you know, yeah, you have, you kind of have a whole support team when you work for in the corporate world. Yes. And, uh, and now you're on your own. Now you have all the hats are in front of you. You're the accountant. You're the, uh, the finance I'm the editor. I'm exactly. the admin. Yep. I'm everybody. Uh, yeah. yeah. So my first deal, I actually started by buying condos. Um, I, you know, my mom's portfolio was a residential portfolio that she had built. So I didn't really think about going to commercial real estate at that time. So I started in single family um, or condos and then moved to single families. I was so busy at one point. I was buying like five houses a week. Um, it was, but it's very oh. tough to get to true scale, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's impressive when you're first starting out and you're maybe buying one or two in a year or every few months, but you cannot get to the scale you can get to in multifamily by buying single family homes, unless you're, you know, a billion dollar hedge fund of some sort. So um, that was when it was kind of an inevitable switch into the multifamily space. And I really like it because for our personal portfolio, we are just 
conservative investors by nature. And so it's a very stable asset class with a good sharp ratio or risk to reward ratio. Yeah. So yeah, and five, I mean, five houses a week is a, a lot of houses. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we, you know, for us to do this, I mean, we, we are doing like, a, well, we sold 120 houses last year. We're on target to do 180 this year with a, a very small team. And we can only do this by, you know, having addition, like an expanded team on the ground with realtors and, you know, uh, contractors and all that kind of stuff. And also using technology. Yes. So, um, so and I'm, I don't want to touch on technology just yet, because I know you have, you're okay. using a significant amount of technology in your business, but yeah, yeah that's kind of, uh, so these houses that you bought, your strategy was, they were cash flowing from day one, were they kind of like a burr strategy? What was, uh, what was the plan with those, uh, those houses? Yeah, so the initial plan was going to be to go in, fix them up and flip them out. Um, but because of the volume I was doing and the relationship I had with the local bank, they were like, hey, have you considered, you know, just keeping them? Let us take on a portfolio loan and we'll you utilize that to give you essentially like a guidance line of credit, which is yeah. like a credit card that you can go and buy yeah. houses on for all intents and purposes. It functions the same way. Um, and so I actually started keeping them. But the challenge, the biggest challenge you have with either small multifamily or single family, and you know this, is management is not easy, property management. Yeah. And I do not like the property management side of business. It's I, it's like the easily the part that's my least favorite about what we do. Yeah. So you are doing, you're, so you're doing your own property management on, uh, you were doing that on the single family and you're continuing to do that on the commercial side? No, so now on the commercial side, we're fee managed. So we have, okay. so most of our assets we're buying, the last three have been $80 million each. So they're significant scale and size that we can bring in. And we do underwrite for third-party property management. Okay. Um, I think that in any kind of multifamily, what ends up happening is if you get to a certain amount of scale in a geographic location, then you kind of get into a point where you almost are going to end up bringing it in-house. Yeah. Um, we don't have any plans to do that yet. We have really great property management partners and we're very hands-on asset managers. So we haven't really had a need to do it just yet, but maybe in the future, who knows? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, so that's, this is very challenging when you're also doing for the single family, I'm going to stay on this for, for now, yeah. but ramping up five houses a week and then uh and then the the refi on the back end uh, so you're basically doing kind of like a burst strategy yeah. refi on the back end and then um and then doing the property management after that well my hats to you <laughs> were you by yourself doing that or yes yeah oh, I, was. Wow. I was by myself i didn't even have like the whole team that i have now yeah uh, it was it was very busy and very challenging but because the other thing that people don't realize when you're doing these like fix and flip or anything that involves a significant amount of rehab is if you have a good crew you have to keep them busy otherwise yeah. Someone yeah. else will take them that's busier that's right. than you. And that's it. You have to start all over again. So I needed to continue buying so I could keep my crews busy so that they weren't going and looking for other jobs. So that was a different challenge. And, you know, being a woman in that space was also an interesting dichotomy because construction crews weren't really that used to having a woman directing yeah, them and telling absolutely. them what to do. Um, you know, there were many times I had to have like my dad come and be like, hey, what's happening here? Because I just could not interact with them in a way that needed to happen. 
So that was definitely challenging. And I was young. I didn't know as much as I know now. And I think it'd be different if I tried to do it now, but it'd be probably harder because I know the luxury of scale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's, that's is very good. Very, uh, very interesting because this is kind of the route I was going when, when, when I got started, I mean, that's just kind of the route we were going. We were, had no intention of doing a turnkey rental property, uh, oh. being turnkey rental providers. We were just building our own portfolio and yeah. then we were doing portfolio loans on the back end. And then that dried up. Then they kind of like, uh, we couldn't find another portfolio lender uh, mm-hmm. after that. It was, um, and then we kind of, things didn't work out. And, was, and then we had people that were interested in turnkey side of things. Yeah. So then we said, okay, well, let's just, let's yeah. just do that <laughs> instead. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So how, how, uh, so, so yeah. So after that, you ramped up your business, your single family uh, up to a certain point. How many houses did you have in your portfolio when you decided to, uh, this is, I need to scale it differently? You know, I, I actually don't know. I don't know that I've ever counted it. It was so long ago. Yeah. Maybe a few dozen at one okay. point. Um, I, you know, we, cause we had single families, we had condos, we had individual lots and I started selling them off too. So as we were acquiring, we'd start selling too. So we were always kind of like in a buy and sell because the market was really hot then. Yeah. It wasn't as hot as it is today, but it was very hot at that time. And, yeah. you know, what we thought was kind of the top of the market too. So we started selling off assets. Um, we, you know, we were buying five a week was like at our busiest point. Okay. We certainly did not have enough deal flow to get five a week consistently. I wish we did, but it was, you know, usually yeah. it'd be like one or two, maybe every week, every other week, but some weeks were great weeks. Okay, great, great. And then at one point you come to the, real, so you come to the realization that you have to come up with a, a new strategy. And this is, um, so I want to emphasize that because this is, it's important for, for the audience to realize that you may start with one strategy at the beginning is going well, and then you may decide to continue with that strategy and tweak it like what yeah. we have done uh, we we started building single family and then we decided to okay let's just go and turn it turn that into a turnkey provider uh, business and then you you made a different decision also yeah. a good decision uh to to do it to do it differently so what what is the turning point and uh kind of like how the decision making happened with that yeah i think well i think the decision making i didn't really realize how big of an undertaking it was to switch until I was in it. Um, But I think that for me, the catalyst was really in the logistical issues with trying to scale single family homes, single family portfolios, the um, desegregated location of each Mm -hmm. asset. And I, I live in DFW. So I was doing the vast majority of my portfolio was here in Dallas. I had remote assets in uh, DC and Pittsburgh as well, but nowhere near the amount that we had in Dallas. And even here to get to some of our assets would take an hour and it's just not practical to be a one person show. And so it was, yeah, it was either bringing on more people. And, you know, for me, that was really tough because I like to control and I like to know like the quality and, you know, it also became a huge hassle to lifestyle because I was the one answering calls at two in the morning or, and I tried using third-party management and I just yeah. couldn't get anybody that would handle issues the way I would have wanted to, you know, it's, it's not mm-hmm. the same. The incentives aren't aligned there. Yeah, yeah. And so 
that was a really big challenge. And that's when really I said, okay, to get to the type of scale that I know we can get to and I want to get to, uh, we really need to move into larger assets. And one of the interesting things was actually on the capital side. Um, so initially I'd started out just investing our own capital for ourselves. And mm-hmm. I had no plans of taking in investor capital. I had no plans of getting into the private equity space. It was actually kind of like by accident that we did because I'd have really good friends of ours ask us like, hey, Vina, can you like teach me how to do this on the weekend? And mm-hmm. I get it because everyone thinks it's like passive income mailbox money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You and I both know it's not exactly <laughs> passive income or mailbox money, right? We make, so, it, we make it look so easy. Then, uh... <laughs> it's all smoke and mirrors. Uh, and well, and that's the thing. I was like, no busy orthopedic surgeon that works a hundred hours a week. I can't teach you how to do this on the weekends because I work a hundred hour weeks doing just this and nothing else. And so then it kind of became, okay, well, whatever you do next, I'll just give you my money. And you just invest it alongside you. Like if you're putting 50,000 in, I'll put 50,000 in. And I was like, okay. I mean, I understand this concept. I haven't thought about doing this. And it just, the conversation kept coming up over and over with multiple friends. And so I reached out to the securities attorney that I've been working with for over a decade and kind of asked him what that would look like. And that's when we really started getting more into the private equity space and we Mm -hmm. had the ability to start scaling. Yeah, we did a lot of, uh, we had a similar situation. It's just kind of, it's very funny. Um, yeah, people that, oh, I want to lend you money. I want to participate yeah. and uh, stuff like that. So we did a lot of joint ventures and private money, uh, get yep. private money lending and stuff like that. And this is just like, like more work on top of everything else. So, so <laughs> more work and more responsibility, actually. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you finish a project and all of a sudden now you have a partner that you have yeah. to lo- do the project accounting and tell them, oh, yeah, yeah, this is how much we did. And then they ask yeah. question about, well, this, uh, how much, did you, why did you spend over budget on improvement and uh, all that? <laughs> Yeah, no, yep. you know the you know the thing. So uh, yep. okay, so that's that's good. So then you had a bunch of people that wanted to do. Uh, they had capital. They were ready to invest with you. You knew that they knew that you were successful. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like from what I'm gathering here, like uh, you didn't kind of like you just had the, these people, but then you didn't have you want you didn't think that a single family was really the right space to kind of like leverage that capital for the uh, yeah. for the next next paths. Yeah, to your point, you know, reporting and keeping all of the accounting in like a very meticulous way that's appropriate for investor facing would have been a massive challenge for us at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the actual irony of it is everybody says they want to invest capital. And then when you are like, hey, write a check when you're just starting off, all of a sudden there's a lot of capital that's nowhere to be found. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah. The first deal that I raised capital on, um, I think we needed a total of about 1.2 million. And I was like, oh, hey, there's enough people that have already you know, said that they were gonna do this. So many people were like, oh, you know, it's not the right time, or mm-hmm. I just did this other project, or I have this expense coming up. So I actually thought our first project, we, I was scared that we weren't going to be able to close and perform on it. Uh, thankfully we were, but, that was like the most stressful six weeks. And then, you know, once you take in investor dollars, the responsibility is completely different. I mm-hmm. have not slept the same since taking in an investor dollar. <laughs> it's just the nature. But, you know, today we've perfected our systems and our strategies. So now on like our last 
few raises have been around $30 million, which we do in 42 days with no issues. So tell me about that, that first deal where you had to raise like the $1.2 million. So how, how, what, what was like the purchase price and what kind of like, what was the plan with that? Yeah, so we were um, J JV partners with somebody who had, you know, the track record and the experience, which definitely added a lot of comfort for us as we were getting into the space. You know, we we had theoretical knowledge, we had our practical knowledge, but real world experience cannot be replaced. And so um, our part of our role in that was raising the 1.2. We had, you know, other roles in the asset we bought about 200 units here in Dallas, and which was nice because I could, you know, actually go put eyes on it, walk the asset, be hands-on with it. Um, we bought it for just under 16 million and we actually exited it uh, three years later. Um, and I think we exited that one at like 24% IRR. Um, so it was a very good deal for investors did very well. Yeah. Um, it was a very successful project and it really put us in a position to continue scaling and growing. Um, today, you know, we don't, we won't even underwrite deals at 16 million. It's just too small for us at mm -hmm. this point. Um, but you know, that's how you start. You start with, like you said, one business plan, you see an opportunity and you make these small pivots and adjustments until you yeah. end up where you really want to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so in terms of the, um, so these deals, so you, you mentioned, we talked a few times about kind of like technologies mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So tell us a little bit more. We don't, we don't talk too much about technology, yeah. but, um, but it, it is important consideration because that's, that makes it super efficient. Make sure that you don't drop the ball on anything. Mm -hmm. So tell us some of the technologies that you're using in your business to, um, you know, to make sure that things are efficient and high quality, et cetera. Yeah. So we operate as much as possible from like an automation standpoint, we try to automate certain things. Um, but every decision we make at Vive is it starts and ends with how does it affect investor returns and how does it affect investor experience? Um, both of those things, I'm very sensitive to those uh, because I want our investors to have the white glove experience, right? And so um, I we will expend extra dollars or we will do manual work if the investor experience is not where we would want it from an automated. We will not automate if it doesn't enhance that. So in that, we started to find small ways that we've been able to kind of increase our touch points with investors. So on the capital side, we automate all of the communication. We automate our um, document signing process, everything that, so our PPM and our SEC filings and everything, we automate all of that. Um, we automate communication to investors. We pride ourselves on communication. So we put out like our monthly updates and our quarterly financials to our investors. Um, we, in, we increase our communication in times of uncertainty, like when COVID hit, um, we immediately increased communication. We started adding, you know, conference calls or videos so that investors knew that we were still on top of it. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we were watching it closely and we were ready to react as needed. Um, so that's with the capital side, with the acquisition side, we utilize um, AI technology for our assumptions. So we have data points that are really, really specific and 
they come from millions or hundreds of millions of data points, which gives us really good ability to predict kind of where the asset can or will move on our pro forma. So it gives us an opportunity to get really in the weeds and fine tune our numbers. Um, and that's cool because as you know, compu as computers and AI learn more or is exposed to more, uh, then we get better and better data. So it's exponentially increasing over time with this type of semantic technology. Um, and then, you know, we also obviously automate like the administrative side, that's pretty easy to do. And I'd say that's probably like the first thing most of us try to automate. Yeah. Um, and then operate all the chores. Yeah, exactly. All the, all the things that are like, no one should be bothered by this. You know, we have like our Calendly and our Zooms and all of that stuff. Um, and then also because we have a JV partnership and we're two completely separate companies, a lot of times we have to integrate and we're both fully functional companies. We can take any deal cradle to grave independently. So it's dividing and conquering, but also making sure that that redundancy is shared. So if there were ever a time where I need to step in and handle a role my JV partner would be or vice versa, we have access to all of that data and information and we can see that and touch and feel and interact with it. Okay. So when you're talking about your JV, are you talking that you're sharing GP role, like general partner role in, in a deal and then you syndicate, you syndicate the deal? Okay. Yeah, so we co-sponsor the deal together. And okay. so we're the only two co-sponsors on our deals and we raise all of our capital in-house. Uh, we don't actually raise institutional capital at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and so everything we do is retail capital. We we target, acquire, raise the capital, stack the debt. We operate, execute, and the goal is to exit successfully at the end of it. Yeah, and and you're all uh, so Vive Vive funds include is includes both you and the uh, your JV partner so, or GP, so or this is just your side of it. Just mine. So Vive is um, my sister and I are actually partners at Vive. Okay. Um, so we're the only two. The buck stops with us. Good things, bad things, all of it comes back to us. Okay. Okay. And then, so you're partnering with, and then your expertise is under the acquisition, the capital uh, raising, and uh, what else? Yeah. So I touch all aspects of the business in some way or another. So really, what we do in our JV partnership is we we kind of get together, we divide out the roles and it works really well because the roles that Ellie likes to do are things that I'm like, I don't want any part of that and vice versa. Yeah. Um, we could, but we just, that's the beauty of having a partner, a strong partner. And so I really, um, I spearhead the legal side, the security side, the capital raise, um, the due diligence. I handle that personally. Um, she really is handling the targeting negotiations, um, you know, there's like a million different parts to a deal. So okay. I won't, I'll spare yeah, you the whole okay, list, okay. but generally I do. I, my favorite part of our deals is the capital structure and okay. legal structure aside. Yeah. yeah. No, so that, not, not as good as I was kind of like the wondering if you had like a, a construction partner that was kind of handling all the, and then you were kind of overseeing everything else or no, that so was working. We, we do have construction teams that we bring in house via third party management, yeah. but we don't, we don't have an, a construction arm within Vive. It's so it's Vive and Blue Lake. We've been JVing together, but we're separate companies, so to speak. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that's good. Very yeah. good. Thank you for that. Uh, so now, what are some of the deals? What's your target deal? What does that look like? Yeah. So today we target anywhere from like 70 million is really the lowest 
price that we want to be looking at. Now, does that mean we won't underwrite like a $50 million deal that's next door to one of our assets? No, of course we would. But generally we're targeting 70 to 120, 130, 150 million. Um, we're not getting any of these deals because the competition is insane, but that's what we're targeting. That's um, right. So we're looking <laughs> at like class B value add assets, um, you know, in 2021. Yeah, yeah, it's yep. very tough in this space. And 2021, we did two deals and 2020, we did all one deal. So it's very tough, um, but we are patient investors and we co-invest with our uh, LPs. So it's very, very important to us that we do great projects instead of a lot of okay projects. Um, and so that's why we, you know, we just don't do, if we don't see a deal that makes sense or we can't put our name on it or reputation on it, we just don't do it. Yeah. So that's, uh, so how many door, any minimum number of doors or? Yeah. Usually when you're at that size and kind of in the vintage that we're looking at and the markets we're looking at, we're roughly somewhere around 300 and up. Um, mm -hmm. We, we have a, we'll do it. We'll underwrite anything 200 doors and up, but yeah. we have a strong preference to 300, 400, 500 doors, the bigger, the better really. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a space that's a little uh, that's a little crowded. It's too crowded for for me, that's for sure. You know, I feel the space the like thirty million and less is more crowded. Um, mainly, I'm even lower than that. Well, but once you get to like that, yeah. ten to thirty million, that's like a different class, and then you get like thirty to fifty, and then you mm -hmm. get like seventy and up. Yeah. And then you get to like 150 and up like to billion dollar deals. So, but I, I feel like our space is not as crowded with sponsors that are raising retail capital. Like we are, we see a lot of institutional comp yeah. competition and we see a lot of uh, family offices compete mm -hmm. at this size, you know, life insurance companies. Um, so that's really who we're competing against, which is kind of nice because it gives, we're not winning on price. We're winning on terms. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pricing, these are all highly sophisticated investors. There's not, you know, if we're losing on price, we're losing by like $5 million. We're not yeah. losing by like a hundred thousand. Yeah. And so we're competing on terms. Our terms are very aggressive. And because it's just, you know, one decision maker from each company, we can move very, very quickly. We can shorten up some of our due diligence periods. Um, we can, you know, utilize our risk capital a little bit more efficiently mm -hmm. and so that's how we've really been able to get the deals that we have today yeah oh, that's good and this is uh yeah so this is hard to uh to find find deals right now i mean even for the some of the multifamilies that that we have mm -hmm. uh that, that kind of our target uh it's it's still very hard to find it it's hard to find things that in class B, class C, yeah. that uh, that need renovation. A lot of it is already done, and then you're kind of like at the uh, you know six percent cap rate and uh, or lower. Six percent right? yeah, cap rate. I, I would buy those. I, I'm, I'm in mid. I'm in the. <laughs> I'm in the middle of the country here. So no, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. In our market, like we're, we get excited when we see like a plus four cap yeah, rate yeah. in Dallas. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in our market, we're in <laughs> Dallas. So we're in Texas, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Arizona. Yeah. If you're the deals we're going into, there's no way we're getting into a six cap. Yeah. I'll buy everything. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Um, so um, the other thing too, that you do, you do very well is kind of like, uh, uh, the uh, basically being able to raise from high income earners, 
right? Yeah. So, um, and I think there's a, so everybody, I think everybody, if you're new to investment or even if you've been investing for a while and you're planning to grow, you should do, if you haven't done so, you need to kind of build your network of investors yeah. so that you can raise, you can raise some money. Eventually you're going to need money. Yeah. And my favorite saying is that it doesn't matter how much money you have. You're always short a couple of millions. And sure. every time I just <laughs> yeah. like, I think, Oh, I have lots of money. <laughs> yeah. No, that's but, definitely true. <laughs> you know, that never, that uh, you always need money. So building that network. And, and I think you, you kind of, uh, you, you kind of had specialized in the high income earner. So what are kind of like some of the dialogues? How do you access these kinds of high income earner? How do you, do you talk to them differently than, uh, than other people, uh, et cetera? So what are some of the, the your, uh, your kind of like your, uh, your secrets for and the secrets? Yeah. So the biggest secret I could tell anybody about raising capital. And if you want to get to the scale of capital that we raise is knowing your numbers inside and out. I, no one will ever know my deal better than I do when I walk into a room. Um, so every question investors ask me, I can answer it like 95% of them. I can answer without even having to refer back. So I study our markets. I study our materials. I know everything inside and out. That's one, but more importantly, raise that capital when you don't have a deal. It's a much different conversation. So for example, at this very moment, I have no deal. If you came to me and you said, hey, Vina, I have a million dollars and I want to invest, I'd be like, awesome. I don't have anything for you to invest into, but here's how our process works. Here's our strategy. Here's our team. Here's our track record. I'll give you all of the things you need to vet every single thing about who we are and decide if we're the right fit, except for a specific deal. Once I have a specific deal, then all you're doing as an investor is you're looking at it and you're saying, yep, this deal works. This is what she said it was going to be. I get it. It makes sense. I'm in or no, I don't like it. And I, I always ask investors for feedback if they say no. Um, the no is far more useful to me than the yes is like, I know why you love our deals. We love them enough to put them under contract and to invest into them ourselves. Tell me why you don't love it because that gives me an idea of who you are as an investor. Do you, is it the wrong timing? Do you hate this market? Do you just never want to work with me because you don't think I'm a good sponsor? Like whatever the reason is, it's fine. But I like to know that so that I know how to kind of ad not advise, but direct my investors as we get new deals. So if someone's like, hey, I'm just like way too invested in Atlanta, we might come out with a deal and I might ping them and say, hey, we just put out a deal in North Carolina make sure you take a look at it. Cause I know you're, you weren't interested in Atlanta and this is outside of that market. Mm -hmm. um, so that's also how I have those conversations. And I don't change my conversation, whether I'm talking to somebody who has no money or somebody that's a billionaire, my conversation actually remains the same because my perspective is, and I was very much raised this way that we treat, you know, the janitor the same as the CEO and mm -hmm. the same goes for my investors because one, I don't know who they know. Two, I assume that everybody has the opportunity to be an accredited investor at some point in the future. So every conversation I have is a potential investor for me. And I never, ever discount anybody who is just starting out. We all started out as unaccredited investors. So um, that's always been our philosophy and it goes very much hand in hand with our investor first philosophy. And that goes for all investors, not just accredited investors. 
Yeah, so I mean, this is great advice. And I think the uh, I think this is true as well is that, yeah, start raising money, like I was suggesting as well, is like, start talking to these people before you need the money, because yes. and you will need the money eventually if you're growing your yeah. business. So it's much better to have a conversation with someone when you're not selling them something and exactly. just say, hey, this is what we do. This is what we did. Right. And then, um, you know, and then this is how our investors did. Yeah. And then, you, you know, then later on, maybe they want they're interested in something that uh, you have to offer. Exactly. It's too hard to try to get them to do all of the due diligence they need on you and the company and the philosophy. And it might be the first time they've ever heard about this type of passive income. Mm -hmm. And so you want to handle all that when you're not also trying to do a million other things to get a deal closed. And at that point, you want it to be just about that specific deal. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, if I could tell younger me something that I wish I would have done, it's that I wish I would have set up processes and systems when I didn't need them because now at the scale we're at it's a lot harder to retroactively implement all of these things and we've had to because there's no way we can raise 30 million dollars in 42 days without having some level of efficiency built into I cannot make an individual phone call for an hour or two to every investor individually at that point I, I want to I would love to do that because that's my favorite part of what I do but um, that's why I say like invest into those systems, processes, set expectations early and always deliver on what you say you're going to do. And if you can't communicate why it's happening, um, so that there's that trust built about, and the biggest KPI I look at when I am looking at my investors is how many are reinvesting with me. I want that long-term relationship. I don't want yeah. someone to invest once. And so about 80% of our investors are in two or more projects with me, which means a lot to me. And I try to keep that number as high as possible. Oh, this is great. Very good. So uh, Vina, if, uh, if people want to reach out to you, uh, how, how can they do that? How can they touch, touch base with you? So you can find me on my website, vivefunds, V-I-V-E-F-U-N-D-S.com. Mm -hmm. And I have an investor portal. So you can log in there. You can like see all of our offering materials if we have anything at the time, which we probably won't at this rate. Uh, but you can see kind of what we do and who our company is. You can um, also schedule a call um, if you're interested in talking about the investment process. And then if you want to just connect with me, I'm on social media, Vina Jetty, pretty much like everywhere, TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, I'm everywhere on as Vina Jetty. Great. Well, Vina, it was a pleasure speaking with you and uh, good luck. I hope to find a deal soon. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.